Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Frontend Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne. I'm a senior front-end developer at Actimo, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis, a senior front-end engineer at Porsche. How are you doing, Scott? Hey, yeah, uh, really good. Uh, glad to be here again, Evan. Um, like, nice to see you. Um, super excited for today's guest. Um, I have a colleague who tells me that she is amazing, um, and I believe she's got more titles than uh, than uh, than who who am I going to say? Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Um, and, yeah. and yeah, well deserved as well. Well, of course, of course. <laughs> How are you? Nice. I'm good. It's uh, it's good to be home. I'm still sort of relishing in the fact after a long summer away. So that's that's very positive. And uh, yeah, it's starting to get away from summer, and the weather is cooling but not cold because it's nice where we live. Best time, best time of the year, like, and like the weather cools down, and it starts feel, for me. It's always the time that it feels like um, things are. Like ready to start again like i know people like look at like the beginning of the year but for me like a little bit a bit a little bit of this is getting rid of the kids back to school after the summer holidays and then like you can actually start concentrating at work and stuff and it's like nice time of the year yeah pretty awesome Right, so today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner and consultancy headquartered in Switzerland with offices all over Europe as well as Pune, India. They are hiring for a number of roles, so if you're looking to get into a consultancy, that's pretty great. Check them out. We are, as ever, so glad to have their support with this show. So today's guest, uh, you might have seen around the internet uh, or heard of, um, her name is Debbie O'Brien. She is head developer advocate at BIT. Uh, bit.dev and uh, GitHub Star, uh, recently acquired, I understand, uh, Google Developer Expert, Microsoft MVP, many more uh, accolades to her disposal. So Debbie, welcome. Can you introduce yourself and maybe let us know a bit about how you got into to the, the tech scene to begin with? Hey, everyone. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, so my name is Debbie O'Brien. I'm Irish, but living in Mallorca because it's sunnier. Because, <laughs> you know, that's what you do, although it's cloudy today. And how did I get started in tech? That is such a long story. We'd be here for like an hour and a half just talking about that. Um, quick version, I started in tech in 1997 or something like that, back in the years um, when the internet was really rubbish. So I learned how to build a website before we even had the internet, even in the college. So that's, yeah. Hardcore days, and obviously I got bored, so I moved to Spain to be an entertainer on a stage and have fun instead. And um, you know, I was working for many years in Spain, um, unemployed in the winter, so I went back to studying, tried to get back into web design, um, started building Flash websites, uh, WordPress websites. You know, things kept changing in tech. Um, it was very hard to get a job because I live on a small island, so you're very limited to the kind of work you can do. And remote working wasn't a thing, especially in Spain. So um, I went to teaching English and I was teaching English for ages, then went back into front-end development. And I was a very good front-end developer in HTML and CSS, the typical old school front-end developer who then passes it to the JavaScript person, the real programmer who makes it all dynamic and makes it all cool. I could never do that, except I did add jQuery once. I was very proud of that moment. Um, so yeah, then I became unemployable because the front-end developer role had changed and I hadn't you know, changed with the times. So um, I went back to studying and basically took like, um, almost a year out, nine months out to just study full time and try and learn JavaScript, try and make it back into, into programming to be a proper programmer. I wanted to be a real programmer. And that was just over four years ago. And like, it's been like incredible what's happened in the last like four years. It's just mind blowing. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I remember when you and I first met, um, you came to something we were hosting at NetCentric at the time, like a, a meetup or something. And it might have been another meetup we met at before then. Regardless, you were super present uh, in these sort of meetups and tech scenes and constantly learning. But what always impressed me was also immediately returning and sharing that knowledge back uh, as well. So just cycling it around. Um, was that kind of part of your own learning strategy to keep yourself moving fast? Yeah, so I think I, I worked uh, with, or I worked, I studied with Open Classrooms and with Treehouse. And there are two like different platforms, but very similar in the sense of they kind of ensure that you're helping other people. So while you're learning, you're actually helping others. So we had like the Slack channel, for example, where you had to do peer reviews. And at first I kind of thought like, you want me to do peer reviews? You want me to review someone else's code because you couldn't be bothered to pay someone to do it. And I got very like, I'm not doing that for you. That's like free, you know, free work and stuff. But actually, they're giving the students a chance to review someone else's code to kind of like say, hey, this is really, really good. But, you know, you could do this better. And you learn a lot of skills by reviewing someone else's code. Right. And I end up like improving my code a lot because I I end up just like helping so many people. I did I won the badge for the most peer reviews. I think I did over 100 peer reviews and like got a badge for it. I was the most peer reviewed student in the whole program. Um, and I made it my thing that every day, the first thing I did in the morning was review someone else's project. And I made it like, I do that first, then I do my own work. Because then when I got stuck, and I got stuck quite a lot, I didn't feel so guilty asking for help because I'd already helped people. And that was kind of like my way of doing something. I don't mind helping people. Uh, I love helping people, but I also need help as well. And if you don't help people and you just ask for help, then it's kind of like a one-way thing and it's it needs to be two-way. What I really like about that, too, is that's a skill that they don't normally talk about or promote very much, at least until you get up to like senior levels and such. And even then, it's sort of you have to do it. You're not being taught how to do it. But it's a really important skill to be able to put aside what you were doing. You know, when you're coding, mm -hmm. you can get deep into like all of the little weird eccentricities about the code base. But put that aside and try and figure out what the context of this merge request is, right? Yeah. That's that's a hard thing to do. And doing that every morning, I mean, that's also really teaches you to intuit and quickly kind of, you know, spot patterns uh, just for your own sanity, I guess. Yeah, but I did learn the hard way because, you know, I went to a job interview and they had this, you know, that typical horrible job interview. They sit you in front of three people and then they give you a computer with a big massive screen and they're watching everything you type and you have to like, you know, do something and you're like, fingers don't remember anything and everything just goes out the window. And I just freaked out because I didn't know this code base. I didn't know anything. And I just, I just wanted like the ground to swallow me up. But I walked out of that interview basically kind of thinking, I'm never going to look at someone else's code again and freak out. I'm going to actually just get used to looking at strange and different code bases and being able to read them. And that was my thing. I've said right from now on, every single day, I'm going to do this until I, you know, get a job eventually. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I mean, like I, I personally, I I hate those those types of interviews. And and like now, I find myself interviewing people. Like, and the last thing that I would do is give them is like put a challenge like that. I mean, like I know even just from. Um, from coding, like not in an interview, as soon as somebody's watching me, like I'm like, oh my God, like yeah. I've been doing this forever and I don't remember like what this does or why it would do it or like what am I going to use here? Just completely, like that situation completely destroys me. I think that your approach though with like doing something every morning, doing that every morning, 
I I kind of do that with um, with code reviews anyway. Like even mm-hmm. as like part of the job, I find it's like it's a nice in for the day, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like you're into the code. Like you're not straight away doing something yourself, but you, but just reviewing something and it's like. And it's like a nice task to tick off for the day. Like actually, yeah, we've got something there we can find. Um, yeah. And then, and then the person who comes into work, then they have uh, something to adjust in their pull request. And like, yeah, it's a good approach. And, and when you're learning as well, it really refreshes you, right? Because I was on project nine, but I'm reviewing something from project one. I don't even remember how to build project one again, right? So you kind of like starting to refresh the memories of, oh, I remember doing that. Or you look at your code base to kind of see, what did I do? How can I best explain to them where they're going wrong without telling them they're going wrong, but pointing them in the right direction, right? Because you don't want to give them the answers. You want to mm-hmm. just say, oh, how did you think about looking at this and send them a link to kind of some post on it? But yeah, you're constantly reviewing different uh, levels of code and different kind of examples and stuff. And it's it's really important. It's a great skill. So anyone who has the chance and the opportunity to do it, highly encourage you to. Yeah, the... When I'm working on my own stuff, uh, what I tend to do is I have a, a little, it's not hard and fast, but I have this rule where um, I check through the components or routes or whatever it might be um, and say like, okay, what's the thing that I haven't touched in the longest here? And I'll review that as if it were a self-contained thing. Um, and it's because I remember one of my mentors was like, you shouldn't ever say, let's put this off, we'll refactor it later because you'll never refactor. And I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to always make time <laughs> to refactor and keep things going. And sometimes it ends up being a complete waste of time or yeah. it ends up being like, I've over-engineered this thing uh, in trying to refactor it. But other times it is, it keeps you up to date. You're like, oh, I used to do arrays this way. I used to do array manipulation this way. I've learned a new technique. Let me plug that into this old part of the code base and just try and keep it up to date. Um, so that, you know, something for people that are working uh, on smaller projects, uh, it helps as well. Um, I guess we'll segue a little bit into today's show title. And uh, I imagine we'll talk about various different things around this topic. But the show title I chose this time was Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, I wanted to be sort of both genders represented, not just do Ant-Man, but this idea of the incredible shrinking superhero and um, I thought it appropriate, um, given your current role at BIT and this sense of, you know, drilling down into what is the most composable piece of infrastructure within your front end world that you can. I think that's what it is anyway. Uh, you can tell me if that's correct or not. And then we can go from there of like, you know, what BIT is. And I'm sure we'll have questions. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. It sounds good. Ant-Man and the Wasp is good. Um, Because then you can fly. The components can fly anywhere you see and they can be used everywhere. I love it. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, like what is BIT? It's very hard to kind of explain it in a very short amount of time. So I'm going to like do my best. But basically, I would say it's if you want to build with component-driven development, if you want to think components first, then BIT is the tool for you to use. How do we build things um, normally? We build applications, right? So we take a repo, we build our application, we build our components in that application. And then what happens? We need to build another application. And now we've got all those components in that one application. And how do we reuse them in the second repo? Well, we either you know, create a monorepo structure and then you've got this you know, absolute mess that sometimes you have to handle, or you basically start to kind of publish a whole library. And now you've got this whole library of components that you have to maintain and use in all those other applications and repos you want to use. 
or you could, you know, individually put one into NPM, but then you'd have to, you know, manage all the package JSONs for each one of those, et cetera. And obviously then there are kind of tools out there, you know, workspace tools and stuff to manage monorepos, um, but it's still not a perfect solution. So the solution that we have is, is Bit, which is basically a way for you to very easily um, make one component so easy to share across many repos. And they do that by basically they manage all the kind of packaging for you. So you don't have any package JSON to manage. It's just automatically created. Um, you can create your component in what we call a workspace. And you can have like a workspace that's then exporting to different um, scopes. And you can then basically share your components across multiple repos, multiple applications. Uh, you can even just use it in like an, um, an Next.js application, a Gatsby application, just by using Yarn or NPM because it's now a kind of package with its like package manager, all its dependencies, all the code needed for that to be able to work in isolation. So you can use it anywhere you want. And then there's a load of other cool things, like you can get to see the whole dependency graph. So you can look at one component and say, wow, this component, this product card component is made up of a button component, a price component, uh, a heading component, an image component, all these other components. You can see the whole kind of dependency graph. Um, you can see the tests that have passed for it. You can see the code. You can even inspect the code and say, wow, who wrote that? That's terrible. Or like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, I'm going to use that component. Um, and you can see like the composition. So how it was, how you can use it in different kinds of states. Uh, the documentation, if the developer was very good and wrote good documentation, then it will show you and teach you how to use the component properly, all the props that you can use to make that, um, to use that um, component. And then there's like other kind of cool things where you can, in your workspace, take a component from another um, workspace, another team, right? So teams are owning these components. So say me and you, Evan, are working um, for the same company but we work on completely different repos, different um, scopes, and you have a component and there's a bug in it and you went on holidays and I'm gonna fix your components. I can import it into my repo, modify it, export a new version, and then just eject it out of my workspace because really you own that component. I was just fixing something for you, I was helping you out. So there's great team collaboration as well, which is something we've never been able to do, right? You'd normally have to clone a whole repo. And instead we're just importing the component taking the component files, modifying them, exporting the new version, and then uh, ejecting it from our workspace back to where it lives. So lots of kind of cool things you can do. <laughs> I mean, um, so it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but what I, what I, why it's interesting to me is that it hits a lot of these topics that have been coming up in the front end over the last, you know, six years or so, like design systems and component-driven architecture and mm -hmm. monorepos because dependencies get out of control um, and um, build processes and web components and all of these hosts of suites. And, you know, uh, Scott can tell you, we talked for a while about like, well, we've got these view components and the client really wants to use them in a React project. I guess we do a web component kind of wrapper thing and maybe it'll work. And then you're doing micro front ends and like these all sound like buzzwords because they are right. They, you know, but it is, there's all these pain points. And what I love about the front end is that inevitably when you've got that, someone goes, ah, I can do these things and bind together and then boom, you've got Netlify or boom, you've got Bit, I'm guessing. Yeah. I need to investigate a little more, but um, yeah, that, that's a statement more than a question. <laughs> um, but maybe, yeah, I, I, I'm interested to talk more about sort of the pain points uh, that you've already mentioned and maybe we go from there. Yes. So, yeah, so if you like, have something like in previous jobs, I can just go by like the pain points I had in previous jobs. Mm -hmm. And we tried to build a similar thing like in the past, like we had to 
resolve these issues where we had teams who owned different um they they owned different features right and like they all made up the one website the one application which is a massive application and because you have uh at the time like it was very hard to manage things so you had inconsistency you had um a button component but you had a button each team had a button component for example right and then that button component across each application looked different and yes the application itself was made up of a team of like six different teams but really the client doesn't really need to know about how the business is distributed they just want to see a website that all looks the same when they click on the next page they don't want to get a different look and feel they want to have that kind of confidence that this all looks the same and is consistent so it's kind of solving those problems but also solving the dependency and the versioning um issues and i worked on um for companies where versioning was it's very hard to handle versioning so people were creating versions and versions were out of control you you couldn't go back versions um you didn't know who was using what versions you didn't know if you could delete deprecate components or not because like you just didn't know where they were being used so you just end up having like your component base just kept growing and growing and then we couldn't find a better solution than to just like put the whole library up to npm so we just put the whole component library up there and everyone has to has to download that component library and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's harder to manage and it's it's a nightmare and they're the kind of problems that that bit is you know solving it's about being able to let teams have ownership work independently but build something the end product together so the end product just consumes the components that it needs uh the teams work independently yet they kind of like you know build together um so yeah <laughs> does that make sense it does how do you um so if you actually so you ha- you have these components and then you pull it into a product uh, a project like how does it um when when that entire thing gets exported like how does if you're using like multiple um using the component like multiple times like how does it um go about like not duplicating the code if they're all self-contained um self-contained modules how does it go about like not actually like um having like lots of duplication Yeah so um basically like your component if i can think of like kind of a more top level component would be like say a product card grid right so this is the grid component which is using the product card component which is using the button component which is using etc cetera, etc cetera. so they're all basically just you know um importing those components mm-hmm. so when you um are building the application um it's going to need the components that's going to need it's going to have them kind of ready because they're just going to pull them in so it's got like a package json that it's going to like say oh i need this component i need this i need this um so then at like build time when you're actually building the application is when it kind of like reads through this and sees and the same with your like you know um peer dependencies or your dev dependencies um like bit will also look at your dependencies if anything's added in a docs file or a compositions file then that's automatically going to be a dev dependency because you do not need that for the application to build so it will just automatically go in there. Mm-hmm. So bit kind of just manages all that for you and you don't have to like worry about it. And I know that kind of sounds but how but why um <laughs> uh, no, we we've had uh, previously on the show um a few different people that have uh, or at least one person that was from NX mm-hmm. um um Brandon Roberts who was talking about this and I've talked about it a lot cuz I use it in my both my work and uh, my side project is uh the monorepo tooling of NX. but the the impetus there is very similar it's that man things are getting out of control we really need a dependency graph meaning we need to know when we do this build what is importing what what they're using because then we can be efficient about 
whatever it is we're doing. In Bit's case, it seems to be we can be efficient about compiling the assets in such a way that we only include the CSS for a button one time, even though there's 30 buttons on the page. In uh, NX's case, it's I don't have to rerun the build for this project at all because none of its dependencies were updated in this merge request. I mean, that the, the, they share that uh, for sure. And again, you mentioned Monorepo uh, before as well, because that's this idea of there can be a lot of things going on at once, but it's all in the same chunk of um, CI, if you want. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool. It's really exciting. Um, to branch off maybe a little less from the technical side and more into like, how did you kind of run into it? Um, and you don't have to share this if you don't want to, but like what kind of brought you into the fold with them? Because you were working with Nux to be for this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was happy in my job and they just found me and they, they wanted me to work for them. And I was like, no, I have a job. I love my job. So I just said no to them straight away. And they were like, um, can, you know, they wanted me to just have a talk and and I ended up having a conversation, but I told them that they were wasting their time, that I didn't want a job. And um, and basically it was interesting because I had actually researched them three years ago when I was finding the solution for the um, the company that I told you about that I, we had this problem. Mm -hmm. And I did research bit back then. And obviously the version has changed since then, but I, I struggled to be able to use it. The documentation wasn't great. There was a couple of, you know, it wasn't easy to use and stuff. So I basically said, this looks good. This sounds great, but this is so hard to use. So I'm not, you know, I'd reach just I said, no way. There's no way I could teach a team of developers it. Um, and this is kind of very interesting as well, you know, because like my role is also to help developers be able to use the product. And the idea is that it's, that it is easy to use or as easy to use as possible. So I found that like after we had about 17 hours of, of talks and interviews and stuff. So it's a very long process. It was all me saying like, no, and asking questions and stuff. But I wanted to be very sure that I believed in the product. So I really wanted to know like where the product was going, what the aim was, if it really could work, like, and, you know, and all these kind of questions like, but is this really gonna solve? This is my problem. Can I really solve this problem by just using Bit? And I had to be sure of that because um, if not, I'd be like, you know, taking on a role that I don't believe in and that I couldn't do. I can never advocate for something I don't believe in. So I do believe, and I've seen it with like a lot of our enterprise clients, the problems that they're solving, like one of them, and I know this like sounds crazy to uh, some people, but to change their logo across all their applications, we're talking about a very big customer, like very big, to change their logo across all their applications, it took six months. Now you might say that's ridiculous. But if you work for a massive scale enterprise where you have teams all over different countries and you have to speak to like certain people and certain team, like the head developer on that team, the senior front end on this team, whatever, and get them to update this component and et cetera, um, it took them six months by the time they got it all done. Like that's crazy. Whereas in Bit, you have one component, call it the logo component, and that's just installed on everyone. Then yes, the only thing that someone has to do is import the new version, right? And we have a lot of kind of cool tools as well that you can actually um, see, like you can import the version, see it, and then go, yes, that looks good, and test it out, and then actually update your component to use that version, whether it's the heading component, the footer component, whatever. So you're updating one component based on that one component. So it's a lot easier, it's a lot quicker. And there's a lot of other tools coming, Ripple CI is coming, which is like a CI kind of thing that will show you um, all the components that uh, are going to get updated because of it. And you can see that live yes. kind of preview and you can go, yes, it looks good, looks good, looks good. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah, that, that's really nice. 
<laughs> yeah, I've been playing with it internally. It's not it's not available for anyone to use yet, but it's uh, it's kind of like when I was looking at it and they're showing it to me and I was like, okay, that's just the Figma design, but moving. And they're like, no, no, that's it. And I'm like, nah, it can't be. This can't nah. be happening, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, we, we again, it's one of those things, the front end, the data is there, we just needed to figure out the right visualization for it. And that's not easy to do, because sometimes the data is not quite there, it needs to be massaged, but we're getting there with all of these things. Um, you know, uh, Amelia Wattenberger had that uh, visualization for GitHub of the repos as circles and, and things like that. And I was like, someone's going to figure out something like this for the dependency graph. And it seems like that is already the case, which is I, I like being right about yeah. these things. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think um, it's amazing there that you're talking about um, like the the process of them like getting you to take the job, because and I think that's a uh, I think that's a real lesson for for people like that. Um, like believe in what you're doing. Like actually, like really ask a lot of questions about this thing and uh, and believe in what you're doing. More and more, um, we talk about products and not projects. And I think that that is a real like that's something that everybody should take on. Make sure that it's something that's going to fit for you. Um, yeah. And I think that like you mentioned there that you, I think earlier on you said that this like really you learned JavaScript like four years ago or something like that. Um, like it was pretty like yeah. like that's not a, that's not a great deal of time to be like to go from that to being headhunted by um by uh beat and then like actually you saying no no this has to be right for me i mean i think that's an incredible <laughs> journey like it's, it's like super super fast yeah no and 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 the thing was they didn't hire me for my react skills because i didn't have any right <laughs> so i was like now you're taking the nooks developer and you're going to throw her into react and typescript like seriously you seriously want me like what <laughs> so yeah i had a lot of learning to do jumping in there but it's it's good proof as well that it it's less it it can be i mean it really depends on the role i suppose but oftentimes it can be less about the practical skills you know versus mm -hmm. your understanding of how base concepts work so like i when i started kind of recently like being a front ender it's five six years now but still when i started like thinking of myself as a front ender i didn't know javascript either but i knew some php because i've been doing yeah. wordpress sites and i'd figured out at least how to manipulate arrays and what a loop was or a for loop and stuff that served me well and then it's that same idea of you've you've also been very good at piecing together and explaining things back which that's a skill that I mean, again, it's one of those things that, that's not always highlighted as important, but it really is being able to say, I don't understand what you just said to me. Can we try another way of figuring it out? Not everyone does that. A lot of people just go, oh, I must be stupid because I didn't understand what that yeah. person said and not say, let's try and explain another way or, you know, whatever it might be. Um it's it's a good it's the fear example. of asking for help. It's a lot of people have this, right? A lot of people have this. Yeah, but I think you're a great role model for saying like, no, um, <laughs> that is a skill too, and that can move you into some crazy areas. But yeah. they obviously had confidence that your your strengths of asking questions and figuring out how things fit together. It didn't matter if you didn't quite know TypeScript. In fact, that's maybe beneficial as being able to see it with fresh eyes, stuff that they take for granted. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, 
definitely a massive change, definitely a big learning journey. Um, but it's been like, it's been amazing to do it because I've learned so much from it. And it's also made it like, I understand things from, from the bottom up, right? Because I had to like come in knowing nothing. And, and, you know, I came from this like top of the, the mountain from Nooks from being like a ninja, right? I was able to build applications super quick to like, now I can't even build a component. Like what's going on here? And it's very frustrating, but it does kind of like, you know, as you're learning, you then know the answer to all those questions. And I do a lot of like client calls and stuff where they're mm -hmm. having problems and they have a, like, this is the problem we're having. How can, how can Bit help us? Because then I kind of see what are developers looking for? What problems do enterprises have? What are they trying to, what solution are they trying to find? And that kind of like helps me then to kind of see what can we then do? What kind of demos can we build for them? What kind of examples can we show them? What kind of blog posts can we write? What kind of talks can we give about it? What are people looking for? And yeah, like a lot of people are just looking for a solution to a very simple problem and they just can't find it because the front end is a mess these days, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, another follow-up question I have on this is how, like I'm still trying to wrap my head around what bit is, right? Because it's not the components themselves, right? Those are kind of... you. So you build the components, but you have to build them the way Bit wants you to build them. So for example, right. everything has to be in a folder, which is something you're not used to doing because normally you just build your component unless you're Angular and then everything's kind of like in folders. Um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, you have to put in a folder with a, like an index file so that um, Bit can read that index file, which will obviously like be exporting the, the component file. And then you have like a docs file, a test file, a compositions file. Now you can decide not to write docs not to write compositions, not to write tests. That's completely up to you. But we like to generate um, the component with all those files in it. So then it makes it easier for you to write the tests, to you know write documentation, et cetera. Um, add the Figma embed so you can see the design right there beside your component compositions, for example. It provides a better developer experience. And now you're actually working in this dev server, like Bit provides you with the dev server. So that's your development environment. The compositions are your way of seeing that component adding the different props in to see how it works. And your documentation is how someone can then see your component or later on when you forget, what did you, what did I build here? Um, with a live playground, so you can actually play with it live. So instead of like building in the application, you're now building in this like dev server, which means you're seeing your component in isolation as opposed to seeing your component in an application. Like normally I would build an application and build my components. And now I'm just like, I'm gonna build one component. I'm gonna build another component. Um, I can still create an app component because an app is a component, right? And then just put those components in there and see what it would look like in the app. And then just, I can put that up to the cloud so I can share with everyone. Everyone can see those components in isolation, see the app component, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes I've confused sense. you even more, haven't I? No, <laughs> not necessarily. It, it's it's one of those things where it's it's going to be hard to just talk in. about it yeah well, yeah it's hard it. to talk about it because every you're so used to working on your own machine and as you say you're used to working in that if i even when you have storybook on a project you're still mm. kind of like i'm going to develop the the app first and then i'm going to do the storybook yeah. you yeah. know it's the same that you're supposed to do test driven design you write the test and then you get the implementation to pass the test but we don't often do that if you do you're great to keep it up um yeah, but it, don't it's... get me wrong. Like you can, like it's very hard to just 
like take say a long Figma design of this application and just decide, right, I'm just gonna build this component. You kind of almost start with the app, right? But then you kind of say, right, what's the first component I need? It's the header component. And then you think, okay, what's inside the header component? There's a logo, okay, that's a component. So then you start building the logo component of the header component. And then you start like building the navigation component and the, I don't know, theme toggler component to change the theme. And then you put all that in the header component and then it's the header component that you put in the application. Now I have my application with my header component. Then I go down the page and I say, right, what's next? The hero component. Okay, what makes up the hero component? I need a button. So let's create a button. I need this. And then you have the hero component, you put the hero component in the app. Okay, uh, last question then is governance. Because that's the other problem I've run into before. And what I mean by that is uh, we implemented a, a living style guide kind of system. And we had this design system where we had a repository we published where we said, hey, here's the header component, here's the button component, or at least it was the CSS for those. But that kind of goes hand in hand with you got to use your HTML the same way. But we didn't know what HTML or component system they would have. So we, it was a guideline for that. But the CSS was, please use this. Then along came a new project. And they didn't like the CSS that was being handed down to them. And they didn't like even the colors, so they just did their own. And suddenly now we had two button components. But then no one was responsible for saying, no, you can't have the second one. No, you, you can't do that. And on top of that, there wasn't any tooling to support that. So does this, am I right in understanding that this kind of helps address that in that there is a central place of, of truth for these things and versioning and approvals or not? I think one of the main problems, especially like even me and I'm my own, like I've I've had the same problem where I don't want to use someone else's component because, you know, I can't find it. I don't know where it is. I don't know it exists. I don't trust it. And it's sometimes just quicker to build your own. So and I did this in bit and I'm building it on. I'm like, oh, I can build my own. And, you know, the boss came along and he's like, that's great, Debbie. You've just built your own. So now the next person's coming in. They're going to build their own, and someone else is going to build their own. And and now, like in a year's time, we're going to have a massive problem because you didn't want to just look to see if that component existed. And I was like, "Oops." <laughs> so yeah, um, being able to find the component easily um, is is very important, and that's what you can do. But you can search for it and like search for labels for a name of the component. You can see the component, and you should have like you should like split your components into the right kind of scopes, right? So if it's a design component, it should be in a design scope. Um, if it's a base component, it should be the base scope. If it's an e-commerce component, like a shopping card, product card, it should be in the e-commerce scope. So then you know where to look for components as opposed to having 100 components just in one scope uh, called front end, right? Because that's when it gets a mess. So you need to kind of like separate things out. And it's also okay to have two buttons if it's necessary, right? Now, there might be a time where one button needs to do something like absolutely crazy compared to the other one. And you know what? That's okay, because you don't have to over-engineer everything to make it like fully this component has to be the be-all and every all for like 100 applications, right? You can have specific, this, comp this button component, buttons may be a bad example, but say a product card, this is a product card for a shoe store. It's only going to show stuff for shoes because it has sizes and it has like available colors and has all these other stuff that, you know, other like stores don't need, right? And then you can make that specific to that one, but you can use the components of the base that make up that component. I think in terms of governance though, Evan, like with, with that with that kind of thing, it kind of need each company would need like a would need a product owner for for the components. Like the and that would that would be the single thing that people would be able to 
to use in the product in their projects. So, like, I think this is something like that kind of thing is something that doesn't really get solved by the front end, right? I mean, like, if mm-hmm. if you know if somebody decides that they're going to make a separate button component, then or somebody's going to make like an offshoot of a of a repo. Um, so they're kind of going to use it, but they're not really because they're going to change things. And then like that, it, like that kind of mess is inevitable if you don't have people actually like owning what is going in. The same um, with the design team, right? So the designer yeah. knows if that button, if that component already exists, because the designer they build in components as well. They design with components. They know what they've already created. They know if this is something new or not. So it's very easy for them to say, "This is already exists. This you need to create this. It's new." And therefore, you know, by speaking to them, I think it's really important to kind of like build alongside the design team always and kind of have them close to close, not just here's your design, see you later, um, call me if you have any problems, right? It shouldn't be like that. And you can, your designs can be influenced and changed by the developer and the developer, the designer, if you start earlier on in the same process. Yeah, yeah. We we have um, we have a design system at Porsche, um, which is like they've done a, they own that as a as a separate product and they they've done a fantastic job with it so you get to see um exactly like what the component is how it can be configured um but then uh, so you can import that but it's not functionality it's just the component um which like honestly is it was mind blowing for me when i first started there and like it was like okay so here's a design um and then like the there were no specifications for it really. There was just like a couple of bits of configuration, um, which you pass into the design system, um, and it would create the component, and it would be exactly as it should be. Like, and I think that, and now we can now we can actually say, oh, we need this component. Is this something that you could build for the design system? So you can make a request to them to actually build this, and then it's reusable for like the entire company. Um, like, it really works nicely. But it's because it's so heavily, um, I want to say policed, but like they, that sounds like really think heavy. About, they thought about yeah. it and struck yeah. it out. Yeah. You yeah. have to plan things, think about it, and then, and then yeah. you know. And I, and I think that kind of thing in the past maybe wasn't so well thought out. It was like, oh, we've got an idea to build like a design system, or we've got an idea to build a, a style guide. Um, but then after like a year nobody really wants to work on it and it's like oh yeah that's something we did and we're not gonna and then it becomes like not so well maintained and um yeah as long as it's a a living product which is continually worked on then i think i think it can work yeah yeah um i guess the the last thing to say is it's it's nice to see this kind of thing growing and taking off and for me, it seems like something worth looking deeper into, at the very least, because it's hitting all the right, uh, not just buzzwords, but uh, I don't know what the term for it is. No, they, I don't are, know they are just buzzwords. They are just buzzwords, no, no, right? But, <laughs> but an example of the thing I can't find the word for is uh, that, uh, you know, front-enders and designers or product owners and, and designers starting to collaborate together earlier in the process. Yeah. Meaning they also will be, there'll be more collaboration with testers at the end of the process too, bringing the whole development process, getting away from segmentation. That for me is a great mindset to go into and that this product kind of embraces that and encourages it and moves it forward is a good sign to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I will say working at a product company as in like a single product 
even though Actimo is kind of uh, under the Kahoot umbrella, and so there's a bunch of other like, you know, we're trying to merge with some other stuff. Um, still, like, we're not going to take on Kahoot's branding and components. Maybe we can share some like functional components, but it doesn't seem quite right for that. Same as it wouldn't for my standalone project, right? Because I'm already in a monorepo. I've already, I don't, no one cares what version <laughs> of the button I've, I've published, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, at the same time, I know people that are starting up like consultancies are going freelance and stuff. And imagine you've, you just start this up so that you don't have to, as you're improving your skills, you don't have to, you know, redef- re, you know recreate the wheel every time. And when you do, you can then backport that to the projects you worked on before. So you don't have to spend time fixing weird bugs on those projects. That seems like for that use case, it's, it's pretty cool too. Yeah. I mean, it can be used like um, for, you know, personal sites as well. Um, but it is extra work, right? You're going to do some yeah. extra work to do this because you're going to have to think and architect things properly. It's a great project if that's what you want to do. Um, but you do really see the value when you have to share components when you need to build multiple applications, which is what I had to do when I worked uh, in the agency to solve people's problems. And the companies were like, you know, they had a hotel chain, plus they had the golf course, um, holiday villas, plus they had the flights, plus the other things. And then you've got like um, the all these components are being used across very many. And the design system is different, right? They have a different design, but you can still share the same components because, you know, your design, your theme gets applied later. So, um, but it just means you actually end up saving money on developers later on, which is very sad, but it's very true, right? Um, it's it's a lot more, it's easier to just hire loads of developers and have them all build loads of components. Um, but you're going to spend a lot of money on their wages. And it's actually cheaper in the long run to have those components maintain those components. You need a team maintaining them. It's not a let's build a component library um, or design system, whatever, and then see you later, our job is done and let's move on and do something else. You always have to be building and maintaining it and improving it. And the design will change. The design always changes, always improves, always gets better. So yeah, it's an ongoing thing, but you do see a lot of value when you have to, especially like large companies or companies that are using more than one application um, and have, have teams that want to work independently and not have to have that one repo where they have to like build everything and, you know, share each other's code bases and, Imagine onboarding a new developer to a massive monorepo, right? It's so hard, right? You want a new developer to come in and say, here is the, I don't know, the e-commerce components. And that's all you have to worry about. And if you want to get a button component, this is where you just install it from here. And if you need a, I don't know, a header component, you install it from here. But this is is all you need to learn. And if you can onboard your developers quicker, you're just going to build so much faster as well. It's also about the things that you throw away. Like oftentimes you end up, you know, like, hey, let's just start from scratch. It's easier. Um, But what I've noticed is that we're not really doing that with everything. Um, Some bits are now like plug-inable and you might actually do them all from scratch, but you don't even notice. I'm thinking of things like the CI or the, um, you know, deploy process or the hosting, et cetera. That used to be, yeah, we've got to like tear everything down. We're going to write our Nginx files all up from scratch again and, you know, our Apache rules and all that. Now you don't do that. You just plug into AWS bucket or something. I don't know enough about DevOps to know necessarily <laughs> what I'm talking about. But, you know, that part is abstracted away and it was the right thing to abstract away, which makes it easy to sort of 
swap it or whatever, and you don't derail yourself. This is now we're trying to find that same thing for the components themselves. We do keep throwing it out and starting over. What if we didn't do that? What if, you know, you can change out your framework, but then you're going to use similar or the same components or new versions of them, et cetera. It's, it's a paradigm shift. I hope, yes. um, I wish you guys <laughs> success with that. Um, <laughs> we're coming to that time of the, the, the wrapping things up part of the show. But before that, we have our segment, True Hero. In this segment, we like to highlight a few of the true front-end heroes working across the planet and to thank them for all that they do. So this time, Debbie, you've nominated Alba Silvente. Can you tell us a bit about her and uh, why you thought of her for this? Yeah, so Alba um, is from Alicante in Spain, but she's living in Amsterdam, working for Passionate People. And I've seen her grow over the last, um, I think I met her at Alicante View, Alicante, is it two years ago now? And that was her first time seeing Nuxt. And, you know, she started learning it. And she's literally like just, um, she's now a Nuxt ambassador, story block ambassador. She's writing blog posts, creating demos, um, giving workshops. Um, she was just nominated very recently as Google Developer Expert. And if you just check her out on Twitter and check out her GitHub, et cetera, the amount of stuff she does for the community, it is insane. I don't think she ever sleeps. And um, I think it's great because, you know, she's not doing it for money. She's doing it because she wants to just share knowledge with the community. And I really respect that about her. Brilliant. Um, yeah, Alba, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Great. And then uh, lastly here, any proper hero is a well-rounded one. And so we like to share some simple musical picks, um, not musicals as in guys and dolls, but <laughs> music uh, choices. So we'll start with you. Scott, what's the favorite thing you've been listening to lately? Well, if it was a musical pick, I'd go for Grease because it's the only good musical. Um, <laughs> beauty, beauty School Dropout is a particularly, a particularly amazing number. And um, yeah, I would, I would definitely go for that. Uh, although I don't know what the flying car was all about at the end. Um, uh, what have I been listening to? Um, ah, um, St. Vincent. She, mm-hmm. She's she got a film out, The yeah, Nowhere In, and it has a soundtrack. Um, and I've listened to that uh, a good? couple of times. Man, it is, but it's basically just like, it's not like a normal album. I would say it's a mini album. It has like snippets of music in here and there. Like, couple of songs like a couple of new songs i'm always happy to listen to anything that she does to be honest Absolutely. um but yeah I, that's what i've been listening to okay cool thanks i'll i'll put it on there i saw it but you know i thought hey, it's probably not an album proper from her so okay yeah thanks. and you're and you're right <laughs> it's not <laughs> okay. an, it's not an album proper but you know Still good we li- yeah exactly we like her so cool uh debbie how about you so i have a problem right i have these headphones on like 12 hours a day yeah. And I never listen to any music because if I was to put music on, I would just sing and dance. I cannot like just put music on and 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 sit still. I can't do it. So I never listen to music. But um, if I do happen to put music on, it would be the Queen's Gambit, the soundtrack from hmm. from the Netflix show, because there's no words in it, and it's really like just yeah. I just love putting that on and just like listening to it. It's really cool. Nice. Okay, that's really good. Yeah. Um... Is what kind of soundtrack is it? Is it super ambient or I saw the show, but I don't remember the music. Uh, it's quite like upbeat in a way, but like, like there's rhythm to it. Yeah, like you can yeah, like okay. literally like, like that. yeah. Cool. I'm I'm trying to think of it now. Like, is it was it like kind of jazz? Not like, jazz. No, like classicy kind of, but very kind of cool. 
like I don't know I'm so bad with kind of music terms so forgive it's me totally um, <laughs> but like it's yeah. just really like like it's kind of like strongy kind of like you know that's so mm. bad explanation <laughs> see, see why I'm not a developer advocate for music <laughs> that's pretty good okay no I I like it I'll you can check that out as well um it's always good to have I think ambient music when you're coding I can't like you know I'm into singer songwriter stuff too but I can't do that while I'm 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 in the zone I get distracted by voices and lyrics uh so yeah my my pick is not uh that it's it's something also quite ambient and weird uh as is usual for me there's this um I think Swedish guy uh who goes under the name of go to 80 go to 80 um and it's very much chip tune bit kind of music um yeah i don't know as usual hard to explain what it is ambient i don't know but there's uh two new albums that were released at the same time stalo and glosson i don't know what they are or the story behind them i didn't do any research but they've all got like you know 13 tracks each of you know long weird stuff i'm i'm super into it um earlier stuff is definitely more chiptune but this stuff is ambient and neat so i've been listening to that on repeat trying to get it into my head which is usually how i do it with albums it takes me a while to be like oh yeah i remember that feeling uh of that piece of music yeah man we really sold those musical pitch there Weird. Oh my god! Kind of yeah, strongy. It's, yeah, it's, strongy. it's not like really strongy. Not really a proper album, you know. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoys listening to that. <laughs> so it looks like that's all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you should like, heart, or star us in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews and ratings are how the fancy algorithms help people find our content, and the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, send a tweet to us at Heroes Front End and we'll add it to our list. Until next time, heroes, remember, with great front end power comes great responsibility. See you Woo-hoo, next time. Woohoo, love it. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs>